doctors of what I call proper healthcare, and certainly as chiropractors, our mission is big and bold. Our nation and the world requires leadership when confronting the pandemic of metabolic derangement, which leads to degenerative disease and poor health. Masses of people around the globe will never know what it feels like to have boundless energy, unlimited potential, and true health independence into their senior years. Join me in my quest to bring together the best practices to make you a leader in your community. My question to the entire profession is, if not now, when? If not us, who? We've got a Facebook Live going here, and I have my good friend, Dr. G. Dr. G, Dr. Stephen Janopoulos, a lot of people in our community have already met you. Um, I really appreciate you taking um, time out from New York City to uh, talk to my, our communities about, listen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but today is day one, phase one in Southwest Virginia. So um, there's lots of information out there. And really what I, first of all, thank you for being here. And uh, for those of you that don't know Dr. G, Dr. G um, is a chiropractic friend of mine, a colleague of mine. I've been blessed to know him for a number of years, but really where um, his brilliance is, is in neurology and in functional medicine. So he spent the last several years of his career um, helping people with something called metabolic disease. And as it turns out, there's a huge correlation or connection between metabolic disease, metabolic syndrome, people with metabolic issues, and those that are most at risk, I guess is a good way to say it, with lots of health problems or including um, the coronavirus. So Dr. G, welcome. And uh, um, I think my first kind of topic that I'd like to talk to you about over these next 10 to 15 minutes is, okay, today's day one, phase one, day one in Southwest Virginia. If we're going to be going out, um, what do you think some strategies are to, um, first of all, who's at risk? Who's, who are the people that really need to be being careful? I know we all have to be careful, but who are the people that have to take significant um, steps? Sure. Uh, and again, thank you for ha having me because you and I have been working together for so long and we've been co-managing cases for, for nearly a decade. And it allows you to do what you do best, which is handle the, the structural care of your patients and, and address how their nervous system and their body communicates, which is really the pinnacle of health or, or where health starts uh, with our education. We understand that. And then you brought me into the picture, into your practice, because over the past couple of decades, you and I, a couple of old guys, we kind of saw the transition of our communities and our country becoming more and more metabolically unhealthy. And, uh, you know, we, we've always looked at lifestyle as chiropractors as part of our education to educate our patients about improving their lifestyle. But we're starting to see things that need a little bit more help, specific help, and that's why you bring me into the picture, and that's why I have a Virginia license. Um, so I, I really enjoy working with Southwest Virginians as I have, I guess, almost 10 years now that we've been working together. And I've been down to Tazewell uh, a couple of times, and, and I always enjoy it, and I love the people. So I really, it, this means a lot to me, and I really want to um, give you the, everything I got today as far as knowledge goes. We may have to do this more than once, 
But one of the things I've done, uh, Dr. Brown, in the last uh, couple of weeks is really pay attention to the numbers coming out of New York City, which is kind of making up for 40 percent of the impact of this virus on our country, maybe even more than that. And what we find is that, uh, you know, 90 percent of the fatalities have one or more concurrent health problems, right? People who have other health issues. And they list 10 of them that make up the 90%. And those 10 in order, the top three are going to be hypertension, uh, diabetes, and hyperlipidemia, which just basically is a simple way of saying cholesterol and triglyceride problems. And one of the those are the top three with with high blood pressure being at the highest. And then one observation that I was asking or that I was ma- making was, wow, these people aren't being diagnosed with hypertension or high cholesterol when they show up at, in the ER. They have that as part of their medical history, which means they're being treated for it. So then the question becomes, well, is it the high blood pressure that is the high risk or is it the medications you're taking for the high blood pressure? It's probably a combination of both. We'll learn more. We'll tease those numbers out. But more importantly, if you have high blood pressure and you're taking medication to lower your high blood pressure, well, then you don't have high blood pressure at the time that you got the virus. In other words, does lowering your blood pressure with medication make you a healthier person? I think the answer is no. Uh, this actually is proof the answer is no. Uh, whereas before, we just knew it intuitively, uh, doctors like you and myself. So so the best thing anyone can do, and by the way, that 10% that does not have those top 10 conditions, do you think they're perfectly healthy? Would they pass my test or my blood test for being perfectly healthy? I don't think uh, low vitamin D or, or um, you know, uh, triglycerides above 100 or other markers that I find to be important. I don't think they were checking for C-reactive protein the way that, that you and I do in, in, in the blood work to see what their inflammatory state is. We're not looking at body fat percentage either, even though some studies are looking at obesity. So what you can do, you know, we say that the health of the host matters most. We want to move away from, and and I'll quote Dr. Franson on this one, a colleague of ours who said, it's not the strength of the virus we want to be talking about, it's the strength of the host that we want to be talking about. And those are the people who are listening here, uh, especially in Southwest Virginia. So getting your metabolic house in order is how you are going to protect yourself, not just from this virus, because, you know, this is going to these same numbers, by the way, are true for the seasonal flu. These same numbers are true uh, in northern Italy almost every year with the seasonal flu. I'm not saying this condition, this COVID-19 and the seasonal flu are the same. I'm not saying that. But there's always a virus coming. There is the swine flu. There's the MERS flu. Uh, you know the Mer- the MERS virus. There's the um, the first SARS virus, and there's more coming, as there always have been, and there always will be. And now the world is a lot smaller, and we're traveling around the world real quick. Okay, I hope that wasn't too long of an answer to your question. Um, I'll stop and and give you a chance to redirect me. Okay, no, that's good. So. Um... Everybody knows about the outside and stuff we're supposed to be doing, 
right? So, I mean, I don't mean staying home. I mean, you know, things they can do to protect themselves from the outside. And whether it's agreed upon or not, things people are doing, that's all well and good. Whether it's gloving or distancing or masking, or, you know, washing their hands, all those things are great, okay? And, that, that, and hopefully that's going to get us through some sort of safety and comfort as we manage through this thing. My big concern, and I, where I think the power is, is really based on what you just said. And that's the, the health of the host matters most, okay? So, you know, the best time to have made a shift or a change was years ago, okay? But for those people who maybe have high blood pressure, those people who have diabetes, those people who aren't at an ideal weight, let's talk about some strategies, some real things that they can begin to do to take back control of their health so that if and when the second wave or the next thing shows up, they're in a much better position to be the healthy people that come through it or the people that come through it with what much less fear and worry because they're the host within them that does matter is at a much better place. So how about some strategies, some strategies, the things that they can do begin to do on their own at home to take back control of their health and well-being. Okay, perfect. So what you said was the best time to have addressed these issues was years ago. The second best time is today. <laughs> so so let's go with the second best time. And, you know, in our careers, uh, you and I, we've always presented to our patients, you know, here's where you're at, here's where we think you need to be, and here's how to get there. And if you do that, you're going to benefit with long life, uh, less uh, disability, et cetera. And if we were talking to somebody 30, 35, 40, even 45 or 50 years old, they might make a calculation in their own mind and say, well, all right, what Doc is talking about makes sense. He's right. I know he's right. But what? I'm going to live to 95 instead of 80. Who cares? I'm not going to make changes because I can't think that far ahead to making decisions to living to 80 when I'm only 40. Fine. That's a calculation people make. And they might walk out of your office saying, thank you, Dr. Brown. I'm feeling better, but these changes are not that important to me. Well, uh, well, now it's that important to you because this uh, virus, if it has done anything, it's uh, it's shown us that if you're in the wrong category health wise, metabolically speaking. And by the way, that's a lot of us. That's like one in three Americans who have pre-diabetes or diabetes. That, that's 100 million people. It's a lot of people. Um, this situation can take you out quickly. And I don't say that to be fearful or to instill fear, but to say, hey, you know, it's, it's, time, it's time to do something. Uh, it, it's, it's, the way we've been going is, is not working for us. Uh, and it's not working for us as, as, as a society. So uh, making the decision to start today, the second best time uh, is the first step. The next step is to say, okay, Dr. Brown, what, what's the, the, the one thing that I can do, uh, you know, today? Well, we do something every day that we have to, and that's eat. We also do something every day that we have to, and that's sleep. Both of those things impact your health dramatically. The third thing is move, right? It's, it's, you have to move. You have to get out of bed. You have to go do something. So we want to move more. We want to eat better, right? We want to sleep longer for most people, but we also want to sleep well. And there's so many ways to, to get involved in, 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 in those three things. But 
making sure your body is moving right is a structural chiropractic thing. There's no one in in the world better than a well-trained chiropractor to look at how your body is moving in gravity and in and in your life. And then determining the first thing you said so far. <laughs> and it's true. I mean that there's no I don't want my patients not under chiropractic care. I, I, I do a lot of virtual work. I, I consult people from a distance. But one of the questions I always ask is, who's your chiropractor? Let's make sure you get under chiropractic care first. Second is, what are you doing every day uh, as, as it relates to what you put into your body? You know, you're the outside world and the inside world. So the outside world is the world around us. And the inside world is your bloodstream. Uh, you know, we, we have a, an immune system that, that we were, that God gave us to protect us from that outside world. Well, there's one place where the outside world and the inside world meet every day. And that's your GI tract. Now that GI tract is most intimate with the outside world in the small intestines where, where, where we digest food. So we want to make sure we have a healthy, we have good gut integrity, good digestive system. But part of that GI tract is your nose, your mouth. So viruses enter uh, through your, your hands and then your nose and your mouth. And that's your GI tract. And the entire GI tract from your nose all the way down to the other side where we eliminate things is one system. And the health of that system is very important to take care of. And it starts with the food you put in your mouth. That doesn't mean you have to spray down your food with Lysol. <laughs> we don't need food that's, that's, matter of fact, we need bacteria. We need microbes on our food. Um, but we want to make sure that the interface between the outside world and the inside world is as good as can be. And that's going to be to get on a reasonable diet of food that we would consider to be whole food, uh, food that's not processed, you know, anything that can you can store on a shelf uh, in your pantry for a few years is probably not food. Uh, if it goes bad real fast, it's probably real food. So, so just eating whole foods, making that decision to do that most of the time is a great place to start. So eating vegetables, eating healthy protein. If the food looks the way it did when it grew out of the ground, and if it looks the way it did when it was walking across the earth, well, those are good places to start, right? So we, you and I, we, 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 we like to say that a good paleo style uh, of eating, which is healthy meats, vegetables, nuts and seeds, um, you know, healthy fats and oils. This is a good, a good place to start limiting refined foods, grains, anything derived from corn and wheat and rice. Not that rice is bad for you. But we definitely have too much of that in our in our environment. And we're sitting here talking about how important food is. And I, and I know in your office, there, there, there's a cleanse program that people go through. And it's wonderful because you really take the time to clean up the diet for a period of time so that the food we put into the body is recognized by your genes as being God's food. But there's an aspect of eating that we rarely discuss and that is not eating, right? So there's there's the time, there's what we do choose to eat, and there's when we choose not to eat. And that's where the idea of time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting com comes in. So when you talk about this, talk about it from a framework of what someone does that doesn't have insulin resistance, but someone who's pre-diabetic or diabetic, 
how could they begin this journey themselves? Because I know that is a concern for a lot of people with blood sugar, realizing that they'll discuss this with their medical doctor before they move forward with it. But what are some strategies that you know that you've helped diabetics and pre-diabetics do to improve their body's um, ability to recognize insulin and lower their insulin resistance? Okay. So now uh, a lot of uh, those who are listening to this say, oh, my doctor said I don't have diabetes and I don't have prediabetes. I'm all good. Okay. Well, how about this? You wake up in the morning and you're just super tired. You're exhausted and you're starving. You got you to gotta eat some, something. And then uh, maybe a couple hours pass and, and uh, you wind up, you're at your desk and you have lunch or you go out to lunch and you come back to your desk and you just start nodding off, right? You have a meal and you start nodding off. Well, that's a sign of insulin resistance, okay? That's, that's, that's one way to know. If you've gotten to the point where you're already pre-diabetic, well, you already have a disease. We would like to pick these things up before they become a disease. For me, just having triglycerides above 100, even though your laboratory says they want it below 150, I want it below 100 because I know triglycerides are the canary in the coal mine, which I know in Southwest Virginia, that term means a lot. <laughs> so so what, what we want there is, um, you know, for triglycerides to be under 100, we want to make sure that after you're eating lunch, uh, that you're not feeling tired, like you need to go to bed. If you're going through, you know, uh, bouts of brain fog throughout the day, you know, there's metabolic derangement as a term that I like to use. Uh, and, and then doing something about it becomes more important. And once you know, there's something to do about it, then what do you do? Well, you might wake up in the morning and say, I'm really hungry. The first thing is to say there's 24 hours in a day. I'd like to narrow down the hours that I eat food. And you could start with just 12 hours. If your last bite at night is 7 or 8 o'clock, well, then make sure at least 12 hours pass before you take a bite. So if you go to bed at uh, 9 o'clock and you wake up at 7, I'm sorry, if you go to bed at 9 o'clock and you wake up at 5 or 6, well, then, and your last bite was at 7, you want to wait till at least 7 o'clock before you start eating. For some of you, that's so easy, it's not even a challenge or you're already doing it. Well, then for those people, go to 13 hours, go to 14 hours. The objective is to try to do, if we were to take 24-hour cycle in a day, divide it by three, three you know, is uh, going to be three uh, sets of eight. Eight hours is for sleeping and rest. Eight hours is for work and being productive. The other eight hours would be for eating. So the objective is to fast for 16 hours a day and to make sure you eat all of your meals in eight hours. Now, we're not going to ask you to count calories. We're going to ask you to have a healthy diet, but we want you to feel good about what you're eating during that time. If you're having difficulty at the 14-hour mark, well, then that's your starting point. You'll find as time goes on, you'll be able to extend it. I currently do about 18 and 6 right now. That works for me. Um, but six Diabetic on medication, a diabetic even on insulin, what would they... Yes, they, it's even more important for them. Uh, so so uh, insulin-dependent diabetes uh, responds very, very well. Um, insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes responds very, very well to this uh, mechanism because the reason why they don't produce insulin anymore, for the most part, is their visceral fat. You've heard that term, right? There's, there's the fat in your arms and your legs and your butt. 
but there's the fat that's around your organs. We call that visceral fat. And what happens, that's where it accumulates in a lot of type 2 diabetics, and it chokes off their pancreas, the organ that makes their insulin, and they can no longer make insulin, so they have to take it. When we get them to do the intermittent fasting, what happens is the fat around the organs starts to disappear. And when that happens, they actually start producing insulin again, and they can actually get off of insulin. Now, if you're insulin dependent and taking medications and about to embark on any changes in your diet and your lifestyle, make your physician aware of it. It's not dangerous. We just want to make them aware because they might have to adjust the medication. Now, for some people, they have uh, a continuous glucose monitor. It, it automatically talks to their insulin pump, and that all happens automatically. But I've had patients with insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes go from 200 units a day of insulin down to 40. Uh, you, you can easily drop your insulin needs by, by, you know, taking less of any medication is going to prolong your life, especially a medication like insulin. So when we talk about those people, the diabetics, the people that are overweight, the people with cardiovascular disease, those are the ones that really have to be focused. Now, all of us need to, but those are the people that if we want to show up later, that's, you know, for this next wave to be safe through this first, this wave, the rest of this wave, and then whether it's another coronavirus or it's the next virus, it's maybe it's just flu season. I don't mean just. That's actually killed more than this ever has. But um, what else do we need to do? We need to we need to eat good, healthy foods, raw vegetables, um when you say fruit, I mean, fruit has a lot of sugar in it. So what are the best choices in fruit? Yeah, so uh, we all agree that we've been told since we were, you know, a able to understand the, you know, our language, <laughs> that fruit's good for us, right? So no one really disagrees with that. Fruit is loaded with antioxidants and all of um, all, all of the goodness that God could put into a food for us to eat off of a tree. But one of the things God did was he created a planet where... Um, 15 degrees on either side of the equator is the only place where fruit grows more than three months out of the year. And 85% of the world lives outside of that range, including us. And what that means is fruit grows three months out of the year. So we probably should not be eating that much fruit outside of that. So what I'm saying is bananas don't grow in Virginia, and they certainly don't grow in Virginia in January. So eating a lot of bananas 12 months out of the year, and I'm using bananas as a metaphor for fruit, uh, is probably not a good idea. Fruit has a high amount of a certain type of sugar called fructose, and our bodies uh, will uh, use fructose very differently from the other sugars in our food called glucose. Fructose is probably going to become, now that hepatitis C is not as much of a problem in, in our country, the number one reason that we're going to have liver transplants in this country is going to be fatty liver disease. And fructose, again, taking alcohol and uh, medications is going to be at the top of the list of what damages your liver. Fructose is right there. Fructose is what's in Gatorade. Fructose is what's in your bread. Uh, high fructose corn syrup is in virtually everything. 
so, so eating processed food is going to have high fructose corn syrup. That's going to clog up your liver like nobody's business. It's going to cause fatty liver. And even the liver enzymes that we check on blood work. When I graduated 25 years ago, the upper end of the reference range for that marker was 25. Well, now it's 32, 38, 44. It keeps going up. That's not reflective because we're, we learned more and we're, we're, those are the numbers for, for being healthy. It's because we are fatter and less healthy, and that's the aggregate average that we see in our community. Remember, blood work compares you not to the healthiest among us, but compares you to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor and, and say, is that how I want to be compared? Not really. So, so those enzymes can be early warning signs or canary in the coal mine for problems with how you detoxify. And that can also result in more inflammation and more inflammation is going to make you so. So if I could bring it back to the virus for a second, and again, you and I are not virologists and, and that's not what we do, but we have enough information uh, to know that everything we're saying here is really not debatable. And what's not debatable is this, your immune response or the amount of inflammation you create will determine how difficult of a time you have with this virus. People overproducing inflammation are going to have a much more difficult time. If you're walking into a virus situation at this level of inflammation and you're supposed to be here, well, then you get hit with the virus and it puts you over the top and now you're on a ventilator in a hospital. Whereas this person who's got lower inflammation gets exposed to the virus, maybe comes up to here, but doesn't have to go on a ventilator and gets over it and comes back down. Inflammation is going to come from food. Inflammation is going to come from your own fat cells. If you're a man over 20% body fat, or if you're a female over 24% body fat, you are overproducing a chemical messenger called inflammation that has a scientific name called cytokines. So fat is not just this uh, stuff that sits on you waiting to be burned. Fat is an organ. It's an endocrine organ. It makes stuff and it makes cytokines, a communication signal. Just like your pancreas makes insulin, a communication sig signal, your fat makes cytokines. Well, if my pancreas was this big, well, it's going to make a lot more insulin than it probably should. If my fat cells are this big, it's going to make a lot more of the inflammatory cytokines than it probably should. So reducing your body fat is probably the next step, again, getting your blood pressure in order, getting your insulin in, in order, but burning body fat while preserving your muscle is probably the next best thing that you can do to protect yourself. And you told me this some time ago that if you can go for a walk and get your, your heart rate somewhere ne near, um, let's see, it's 180 minus your age. Yep. 180 minus your age. So if I'm 50 years old, I want to briskly walk or jog or do something on a cardio bike or something to be about 130 for 30 to 45 minutes to an hour. And if I do that in a fasted state, it's even turbo boosted or bonused. 
Correct. So that that that's a great point. So so many people, when it comes to exercise, they think more is better, and I don't do enough. And if I only allocate so many hours a week to exercise, I better really work hard and get my heart rate super high and sweat a lot. And there's benefit to that. But the older you are, that can actually work against you in some ways. Uh, and when we're talking about just weight loss and improving your metabolic health, well, that will harm you if you work out too hard. So for those of you who don't like to do math, 180 minus your age, and then look at uh, some kind of a heart rate monitor, just say to yourself, um, can I carry on a conversation with the person walking with me, whereas I'm not out of breath, I'm able to carry on the conversation, yet I'm sweating a little bit and my heart rate is beating faster. That's called zone two. That's where we want. It's that feeling like I'm exercising, but I feel lazy because I'm not exercising hard enough. That's good. You want to do that because what that does is it mobilizes your body fat to be burned as what we call ketones. Ketones are very anti-inflammatory. It reduces your body fat. It preserves your muscle and basically turns the clock back for you. It, metaphorically speaking, meaning when I say turn the clock back, nothing turns the clock backwards, nothing stops the clock. But all of these things we're talking about will allow your clock, yeah, allow your clock to run run normally without it being sped up. It's like that 1.5 times or that two times when you can play a video two times faster and still watch it. We're all run, running around aging at 1.5. <laughs> we want to be at 1.0. Really what we're talking about here is things that we can do to reduce our inflammation. Because if you can reduce your body's intra-extracellular inflammation, you're going to slow down, you're going to improve your health as you slow down that clock, right? And you're going to in in, in everything else is like almost a side effect. Your immune system is boosted. It's able able to ad adapt to its environment better. Your 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 ability to to uh, for your immune system to appropriately adapt, recognize and adapt to this virus to make the right in, you know, the IgM or the IgG, or, and, and so that you can, all of that, without having to be rushed to ICU or having to be rushed to, to whatever, right? So that's what we're talking about. So healthy diet, you know, eating whole real foods, getting out and moving. Obviously, chiropractic care is a focal point because if you do all those things through a corrupted nervous system, you're just not going to get the bang for the buck. Right. So your nervous system has to be able to adapt you, whether it's the food you're eating or to the recovery from the exercise or everything else. You live your life through your nervous system. So that's obviously my passion and my point. The other part is this. OK, so we're doing those things. I know you said sleep and people will say things like diet. Is it really that big a deal? Sleep? Is it really big, big a deal? Just briefly, I got to go back to work here in a minute. But I want you to tell me um, that sleep is a big deal and why. So if I were to just take diet, fasting, exercise, sleep, um, if I were to put all, all of these in, in order of importance, sleep is at the top, far and away, hands down, everything else is far, far below that. And that's because while you're sleeping, there's so many things going on. Uh, you're, 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 you're healing, you're, you're downloading your, your day as far as memory goes. Um, you know, for children, especially who are learning, there's nothing more important than quality of sleep because short-term memory gets downloaded into long-term memory when we're able to go into the phase of sleep we call deep sleep, and we need a certain percentage of that e each night. Uh, as a matter of fact, right now, just like we can now say scientifically 
smoking causes cancer, we now can say lack of sleep causes Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is a disease of the brain and central nervous system. No organ is more important to a chiropractor than the central nervous system. So, so sleep is incredibly important. Uh, you have to sleep, uh, you know, a, a good schedule is a good idea, but trying to be with the cycle of the sun is probably a good idea. Avoiding too much artificial light is a very good idea. Uh, making sure that there's a couple of hours from the time you go to bed to the time you finish watching television or looking at your iPad or lo looking at your iPhone, protecting your eyes from excessive artificial light by blocking the, the blue end of the spectrum. You can talk to your patients about that. But sleep is absolutely uh key and and you know we see it all the time because when you're metabolically unhealthy it interferes with your sleep pattern look all the things that we said is going to help people like survive a viral attack of course and think about all the side effects of waking up full of energy ready to start the day um the the you know have, having the energy to get through your day lack of brain fog uh better sleep um fat loss muscle preservation it just it, it, it's really, it's really incredible. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, we, we could talk for hours. I know you have to get back to your patients, but this is a conversation we should continue for your audience because, uh, you know, your office is, uh, is kind of the only place to go. Where else are you going to go? The entire medical profession is reacting to diseases. Uh, and, and especially now it's even going to be more, more so the case. And we know that, Taking your blood pressure medication will save you from a stroke, but it doesn't make you healthier. We know that for a fact. You still have to get your health back. And if not at your office, where? Where are people going to go? Um, and I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid there's not enough Dr. Browns in the world because this message is going to get out. And there's not enough Dr. Browns to handle all of the work that needs to be done. I think that... that now more than ever, people are starting to question kind of what they think health is and what their lifestyle and how it affects it. And uh, with that, I appreciate what you said, but I'd also like you to, you know, you've made a few little remarks about how you look at blood work and, um, you know, your patients and how you can get their blood sugar regulated better and some of the things that you do in your functional medicine practice. So is that something that's an opportunity for any of our practice members that are looking, boy, I wonder what he would think of my blood work. I wonder what he, what his recommendations would be. Is that something that, that, that uh, um, they could reach through our practice and we can get up, get them an appointment with you to have a consultation for something like that? Absolutely. Yes. We, we do a comprehensive wellness panel that you and I designed uh, and it's served our patients probably have, have gone through it, of course. And, 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 and there's an opportunity for, for people to interact with me in my office and I interact with you and we kind of have this, this co-management process. So that's something I encourage everyone to go to chiropractic first, call the office and see if that's something you want to do. Uh, I think it's a good idea. I always, uh, you know, go through the blood work in a very specific way based on that, on that patient's history. But, um, this is just as a just as a reminder so people can get it when you when you look at your labs and it's like the low and the high and your doctor gives you a copy of your labs and um, unless there's an H or an L because you fell below or above it whew, it's good no there's so many factors when you look at multiple different markers that can tell you which way are you going because as Dr. G said a moment ago is that 
remember the people who have lab work done aren't the healthiest of people typically, it's the sickest of the people. And they're taking those numbers based on averages of all labs taken. So remember, you're comparing yourself to a very low bar and there's a huge difference between great labs and just not out of parameters. Or another way of thinking of it is there's a huge difference between healthy and just not sick, right? right. And have all kinds of health problems and no symptoms yet. Well, one of the great places to look to see how things are really working is in the blood work. And, and you have the skill to really break it down and, and, and help people with that. And I appreciate that and value that for my family, myself and my practice members. I'd like to make I'd like to make a point on that. Uh, the, the point I'd like to make is, you know, in, in the chiropractic profession, we take x-rays all the time. And we do so because we have a wonderful education that that spans the entire three years that we went to school. And that holds true for understanding visceral health as well. And we look at x-rays to determine vertebral subluxation so they can be corrected. Now, we have enough training to know that if we see a bizarre, let's just call it a soap bubble, you know, appearance of a vertebrae or, or a bone, um, that doesn't look right. There's something wrong there. We have the training. We have the skill set to say that might be pathology let's get it over to a radiologist to, to read and, and, and pursue that. Well, the same thing holds true with blood work. You could get your blood work done with your physician, just like you can get an x-ray done with your radiologist. The radiologist is looking to rule out disease, whereas the chiropractor is looking to rule out dysfunction and subluxation, something the radiologist does not look for. With blood work, your medical doctor, your primary care physician is looking for disease. And if it's there, they do what they're trained to, to, to do. If there is no disease, well, then we look at it and say, yeah, but this is this is this cluster of markers is pointing to you moving in this direction that we don't want you to move in. Here's how you can reverse that without medication. And that's what we do. And if we do see something bizarre on that blood work that is pathology or disease, well, then, of course, we would um, make the, the, the necessary um, uh, communication with that person's doctor. Beautiful. Listen, I do have to get back to work. Um, I appreciate you this afternoon. Um, I would like to follow up with you. Uh, I've got some ideas for some other kind of live question answers. If anybody has any questions for, for Dr. G, put them in down here, put them in for, for, for me. We'll be happy to answer them. It's my pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of chiropractic, medicine, nursing, or any other professional healthcare service, including the giving of chiropractic or medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional chiropractic or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not regard or delay in obtaining chiropractic or medical advice from any chiropractic or medical condition they may have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.